Hello again, and welcome to the Inventure Podcast, a podcast for, by, and about founders and the hellish nightmare lives they lead. This time around, I have the wonderful pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Matt Wells, the president and founder of Audily, the audiobook and podcast production startup where they paired some of the very best tech in the world with great producers, great people, great engineers. Um, we talk about Matt's storied and somewhat hilarious history, starting as a wonderkin, graduating from college early, going into law school, working in politics, then going into the nuclear <laughs> nuclear valve sales game, um, then got into um, representing media folks like Michael Jackson uh, and others. A very hilarious um, intro into the world of media. Um, please give it up for Matt. Here he is, the great and powerful Matt Wells. Thanks for having me. You know, I, I'm a bit of a vagabond throughout my career. So I've done this, that, and the other in politics, sports, and entertainment. So, you know, I think that I tried all of the uh, sleazebag industries, as it were, and swam my way to the top as far as, uh, you know, dealing with all the talent that they say is really difficult to deal with, you know, politicians and pro athletes and, and musicians. And I have to say out of all, musicians are probably the best to deal with. But, you know, that, it, I think you have to be built a certain way to, uh, get into that line of work and, and or stay in it and, and to stay in it. And I never stayed in one place for too long. Um, you know, you don't want to be a 20 year lifer, you know, in, in politics. I don't think, I think that you can come out of that quite callous, you know, and a little bit jaded. So, you know, I, I always tried to absorb what I could while, while in those areas, you know, I actually started out, you know, law school was the focus. So I graduated college early and was like, Oh no, I'm like 20 years old. You know, I can't even go to bars. Like, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? You know, I'm still living with college guys, you know, that are all having senioritis and skipping class. And, you know, I'm like already graduated and, and 20. And I'm like, okay, uh, now what? So I was like, why not law school? I hear people, you know, people go to law school, right? So, you know, that was kind of where I started and, and got into, law school at IU, ended up getting into politics vis-a-vis -vis law and worked in the state house and public policy. And once I graduated law school, I was so over the law that I, I knew I didn't want to practice. So I immediately pivoted to uh, the entertainment world and, and working in uh, dead celebrity rights for a little bit, doing their right of publicity, you know, getting, you know, James Dean into car commercials, all that kind of stuff. Wait, so how, how does that work? How do you get James Dean? Yeah. The, the, the late. So you're just like name image likeness. Yeah. So like still going. Basically. Oddly enough, the biggest company that does that kind of work. So, you know, I think when I started there, Michael Jackson uh, had just died and we were doing the valuation of his estate as, as part of the work we were doing. Um, but the biggest company that does that is here in Indianapolis. We had Jackie Robinson, Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, you know, anybody you can think of and, you know, authors, musicians, anybody uh, that had value after their death, you know, we were working with. So if you're dealing with celebrities, you know, a, a dead client's a good client, um, you know, they're going to be in the commercial that you say they're going to be in. So, you know, it, it you essentially 
you know, the family is still around or the estate's still around. There is some benefactor from that deal being made, but that person isn't necessarily interested in making the deal. Like James Dean's cousin that lives in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Indiana is not interested in, uh, in doing a deal with Mercedes to do a car commercial. So we would do it for him and, and, you know, uh, figure all that out. So, you know, it's a lot of cease and desist letters like, hey, Drake, quit using Pimp C's face on your t-shirts, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, that was my first kind of initial job out of law school. Um, and then I kind of quickly got into uh, the sports world on the marketing side, uh, working with IndyCar and NASCAR and uh, the Olympic national governing bodies. So USA track and field, USA diving, USA gymnastics, USA football, um, which are all also located here in Indy. And so that was a great experience being at that level and dealing with that kind of talent and that kind, those kind of big events, um, you know, really interested me. So I got in more into the event space and uh, a little bit away from the athlete branding and things like that and started focusing most of my time on racing and music and, and kind of quickly pivoted all the way in both feet to music. So for the last four years, five years, uh, I've been creating music festivals, booking venues, being a you know essentially one of the bigger music promoters in the Midwest, you know that isn't uh, Live Nation. So you know it, it, that was definitely kind of where my heart was, and and where my heart still is a little bit on people that have a voice uh, and helping them use it and monetize off of it. Yeah, I think I think you you took the Lord's name in vain with Live Nation. You better watch out. I think I think those season assists are going to come. I know. Out. I got to be careful. I got to be careful. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if they listen, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they know. They know. They know. They know I was coming for them. It's all good. So was that? Were you guys dealing with a lot of like probate attorneys back back in the day? I mean, was it all? Did Did you ever get into any sort of like? contention over over rights to the estate? Uh, not really. I mean, we're usually, we would be hired by the estates usually or whoever was in charge of the estate. So, you know, if anything, there might be some- At that point, sorry. Yeah. yeah, there might, if anything, there might be some back and forth, like a lot of pushback on like, I mean, so like for an example, James Dean, uh, their family didn't want him in any cigarette ads. So, you know, that's something he did smoke during his lifetime, but like posthumously- they don't want him represented that way. So, um, you know, you always- After he died, he stopped smoking. Yeah, yeah, he quit. It's easy to quit at that point. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it, it can get contentious. I think doing the estate valuations is probably the more contentious side, I would say, you know, because- What are the multiples on something like that? Because it's a decreasing earnings portfolio, right? And so, like, how do you value that? I mean, some are. Some aren't. Betty Page, for example, you know, she made an okay living while she was alive, but we absolutely licensed her on lingerie and things you would find at Spencer's and things you would find in, you know, a, a, a sex shop or a novelty shop or whatever. And so she was making an absolute killing all over the country on the internet, on Amazon. Like, it was crazy. And, and you know, you'll see the same thing with somebody like a Michael Jackson that you know, his catalog might have gotten a his little... His bump, I mean, geez. I mean, what, what must have that been right after, right after he died? I mean, that was just like a national event. It was like the Olympics. I don't know. I mean, it was good enough for us to send the bill and them to send the check five days later. So I think they were doing okay. So, but yeah, I mean, honestly though, like of all that, you know, work product and everything, you know, I actually, I had a six month, well, a year, 
a year or two, really, uh, where I was selling safety-related valves to nuclear power plants. I forgot all about that until <laughs> just now. So, um, yeah, I would travel around the country to nuclear plants as a political science major, liberal That's arts fantastic. liberal arts degree, and I would go sit down in a room full of like 10 engineers and have them rip me to shreds on, you know, whether my product could withstand a earthquake or a nuclear meltdown uh, and then try to defend the physics. I'm sure the answer was yes. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but like, then I have to explain why. And I'm like, well, the, you know, the metallurgy of this, uh, of this substance, you know, under the right temperatures, you know, will compress at a, you know, I don't, I don't know anymore. But, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, a lot touch and go there for a while on where I'd land. But I think the goal was always to you know, do something that I felt was exciting and maybe a little cutting edge and, and just something that would be, you know, different than your typical nine to five, which now post pandemic, like everybody's, you know, you're post nine to five. So I think the world's changed a lot the last couple of years where everybody's job's a little different. So that's a good thing. I think people, you know, workers and bosses, I think will be happier for it. So. Hey, yo, peep this. I didn't know that you graduated college at 20. I had no idea. Yeah, I... Uh, what is the usual, like, 22, 23? Like, which grades did you skip? I think I turned 21, like, right when I graduated. I think it was, like, about the same summer. So, basically, like, I, in high school, I finished, you know, relatively most... I, I finished pretty much all my credits early in high school. All I needed to graduate. So... At that point, uh, there was a there was a community college in my neighborhood at the end of the street. So I actually talked to the high school and was like, hey, I'm going to quit coming and I'm just going to walk up here to the community college and take courses. And so I did that my whole senior year. Um, so when I went to college, I was a year ahead that all my credits transferred. And so I, I like went in as a freshman. So not only did you graduate. Oh, OK. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I went in with 20, 22, 25 credits already under my belt. So that was, that was the biggest mistake of your life, Matt. <laughs> oh, trust me. Well, I always say I did it in reverse because uh, college took me three years and law school took me five. So, you know, I worked the whole time, which is why it took me so long. But, uh, yeah. but uh, that was definitely backwards. Most people, you know, at least in, in Indiana, most uh, people go to college for five years and law school for three. So I did it backwards, but I got my solid eight in. So however you look at it, um, there you go. I still got it in. Hey, we're just, we're all just trying to get the solid eight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that that that's amazing. So when you're when you're out, what was the? Because I had this similar experience. What was the deal like before you go nuclear power plant sales? What was <laughs> I can't say it with a straight face. <laughs> what was what was like the political game like? What what were you doing? Who who did you work for? Do you remember what what that was like? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was fun. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like like when you're on the outside looking in, like it is a cesspool, right? Like it is just, you don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Like it is so just nauseating what the political spectrum has become at this point. And it was starting to become that when I was starting out. Um, and you could definitely see the writing on the wall. Uh, but at the same time, it's so fast paced because there are bills and things happening every single day and groups coming in, lobbying for this, that, and the other every single you know hour. And so 
when that phone rings, like you don't know if it's going to have to do with healthcare or if it's going to have to do with daylight savings time or if it's going to have to do with, uh, you know, gun rights or if it's going to have to do with animal rights. I mean, so I always say, like I tell people, like the staffers on those, you know, on those, whether it's a can't you're working on a campaign or you're working in the office on public policy, you are grossly underpaid <laughs> if you are <laughs> well yeah. I, I you know yeah. i think at the time we were working 18 to 20 hour days and we were making 29k a year uh you know and and which was fine you know you're 20 23 whatever 22 you can you could swing it but at the same time when that phone rings like you have to be your base of knowledge has to be so broad like yeah. like if a scientist calls to talk about whatever you have to be ready to defend your, you know, person's position on that topic. And so, you know, every time that phone would ring, you're just sweating bullets thinking like, please don't be something hard. Like, just please, (laughs) you know. So, I mean, and then, you know, you have the other half of the calls, which is daylight savings time and people worried that, you know, their livestock isn't going to know when to wake up or go to sleep because of daylight savings time, uh, you know, or... Or that their flowers are going to die because it's not going to get as many hours of sunlight, uh, you know, things like that. So, you know, you just kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and keep going. But, you know, I came up in the what we refer to as the Mitch Daniels era in Indiana. People wanted him to run for president, you know, I think at, at like 2008 roughly uh, was the time, but he actually ended up becoming the uh, president of Purdue University. Mm, so he's, wise man. he's still the president of Purdue, and I think he's frozen tuition. Uh, since he's been there. So he's done some great things there. You know, they, uh, they, in addition to freezing tuition, I think they've ended up with the most patents by any students, student body uh, in the country. I did see that their students actually developed that uh, three-minute battery charger for Ford so that they'll be able to essentially go from zero to fully charged on your electric car in about three to five minutes. That's going to be huge. I'm, I'm excited to uh, see that come to market. I just switched over to electric and it's changed. I, I, I don't think I can go back. So um, having a three minute charger, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah, I remember one of the, cause I had, I had like a similar little internship when I was in high school and for the US congressman. And it was during a shutdown that started happening. Oh, yeah. and I, it was like, it was like a year long one. And so like, I was working both in the office and then also like on the campaign, like at nights. And I had to like do, I was such a goddamn dork. Like I would be sitting in class in high school with like a shirt and tie on because I'm about to go like work in the cars. And I'd, I was so tired all the time because I, it was like, they're fucking like, it was just me, the campaign manager on the campaign. And we were doing like all this stuff late into the night. But when we we're in the office, like there was a shutdown. And so it was like literally just like me and like a couple of people. And uh, you're answering these phone calls all day long. And I don't know what it was. I just loved, I just loved it. But you, Nine times out of ten, you pick up the phone and they're just like screaming at you. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? exactly. <laughs> it's just so crazy. But I remember telling that story to like some stupid job interview, like when I was in college, to be like a valet or like work on Sixth Street or like something like that. And they're like, "Wow, what an incredible!" Like 
they're like, yeah, can you can you deal with like um, you know people being difficult like on, on the phone or in person? <laughs> <laughs> they're like already a hundred percent being difficult every single time they call a conference. So if you're gonna be like any sort of customer facing, that's like the best training in the world is working in politics. Hundred percent, and because every single person that calls you hates you. Oh, hundred percent. I'm having flashbacks to so there's a guy who is now he was in Congress, now he's actually the Attorney General here in Indiana. Real gas bag of a guy, but he. Uh, <laughs> He had me, I don't think I've ever heard a gas bag. He had me uh, drive him to a to like a, a you know fundraising dinner, and you know we were running a little late, his fault. And he's in the passenger seat. I'm driving. I'm like twenty, twenty one, maybe. And uh, in Indiana, we have a lot of roundabouts, uh, a lot of them. So like instead of instead of four way stops, so you'll hit you know if you're driving thirty minutes north, you're gonna hit. I don't know, 25, 30 roundabouts. You're just oh gonna my God. hit him, hit I'm him, hit him. Puke just thinking about it. Yeah. So it's already bad. So I'm like, you know, you can't take those like full tilt. You know, it's not an intersection. You got to kind of ride the rail a little bit. So, you know, I'm already, he's like yelling at me, cussing, you know, and it's like my third day on the job. I don't even know this guy that well. <laughs> he's on his phone answering emails and he throws me a manila folder. And I'll never forget because he needs, Whatever's in this folder, the information, he needs it to write this email. So he literally has me reading out of this folder, going about 40 around these uh, roundabouts all the way to this party. I've never been like, I mean, I'm a good driver. I even, I was even, a, I, I drove for a living in college. So, you know, that was before Uber. Uh, I would, I would drive black cars for, you know, celebrities and, and things like that. And, uh, it was a lot of fun, but this was like an absolute nightmare. I'm sitting there reading public policy in an envelope on my knees while, you know, going 50 around these turns. But yeah, I mean, that's just like they expect so much of you. And so I think if that's your first job right out of school, you know, you're baptized by fire at that point. Like there's n like you're unshakable. There's nothing that is going to get thrown at you that, you know, is worse than trying to read complex public policy and then and then, you know, discern it and, and regurgitate it to the guy next to you while, you know, going 50 um, around circles, so. Hey, yo, hey, yo, listen. So, okay, all right, I guess we're taking a little uh, linear path here. So, okay, after politics, what, 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 what was next kind of in the, in the lane here? Yeah, I mean, I spent most of my time, you know, Everything was kind of marketing focused at that point, you know? I mean, no matter what the company or job was, I was always thinking about, you know, I was always working on branding and working on connecting brands with partners that made sense, uh, you know, that that would be mutually beneficial for all the parties and, and you know, whether it was event related or athlete related or a lot of corporate companies that would that would want to garner relationships with these people or these brands. So I would... I would be the kind of go-between that would help strategize those things. And I really enjoyed that. But I spent a lot of my time, you know, at that point working with athletes and primarily NBA players, primarily because of where I am in Indiana. We have a lot uh, per capita. So, you know, we have IU, Purdue, Butler, Notre Dame, you know, obviously Chicago, Louisville, Cincinnati are all really close. So it's a nice hub for hoop. Um, and so we always had a full stock of players here to work with. So um, I would uh, typically uh, help them out, you know, getting their branding and kind of 
getting their uh, platforms and, and everything in order for the next thing after college. In addition to, I built a uh, training program. So I had two clients that were, one was a uh, skill development coach and the other one was a strength training coach. And so uh, they both had their own brands and you know books and podcasts and gyms and all that kind of stuff. So I brought the two together and we made an NBA pre-draft training program that's uh, still going to this day and putting players in the league. So that was definitely something I was really proud of because it was different than just marketing. And, and it was kind of like, you know, building something actually useful that people could actually elevate their brand and elevate their career because they're getting value out of something that I helped create. So that's the name of the game, man. I, I had no idea you did that. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I was actually a high school uh, freshman basketball coach, and the team like won state, and two or three of the guys are still in the league today. And so I got to know all the coaches through that, and, and got to kind of get into the the network, as it were. Um, and so I just kind of rolled with it. It wasn't ever in my plans. I mean, I played basketball in high school, but so did everybody in Indiana. So like, that's not unusual. But I got the bug, and I just like couldn't shake it. So. You know, and, and it's it's normal here, I guess, in that, you know, the NCAA is located here. You know, we do have a Final Four every four years, a women's Final Four every two, Big Ten tournament. High school basketball here is insane. I think we have nine of the 10 largest high school basketball gyms in the country. I think it's, we have nine and Texas has one. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, like growing up playing high school ball, like it wasn't unusual to play in a gym that was like, the capacity was like 18,000, <laughs> you know, it was like, good God. Yeah. That's I mean, wild. you know, I mean, you had only a few games a year where actually, you know, 10, maybe 10,000 people would show up to a game. If your gym didn't hold at least, you know, 7,000 people, you know, it wasn't a gym. It was a practice facility. So that's ridiculous. You guys are insane. You can look up pictures online. They're insane. Like they look like, uh, you know, like really old college facilities. It's like, is that Duke? Oh no, that's like, uh, you know, South Southport, <laughs> Southport High School. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The worst school in the county. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, there's just something that so amazing about music and audio in general. It's just that, like, you can't control it. And I think I think that is what makes it so amazing. The SoundCloud rapper is always going to break through. It, yeah. Like, at, at one of them, is, you know what I mean? Because there's just, like, it gets too stale, but it's like it's like a constant check on, on staleness. Yeah, I mean, I, I even, I've been telling, like, everybody this story. I, my wife and I went to Salt Lake City uh, for a conference that she had, and I just tagged along to tag along. And, uh, we went to this Greasy Spoon vegan diner on the way to see a, uh, a show in the park down there. And uh, we walk in this diner and there's like a little stage in the back and like a little curtain. And I'm like, do you guys do shows? And she's like, yeah, there's one tonight. And I was like, oh, sweet. So you're like, little do you know. Yeah. So I'm like, check, I'm scoping the place out being like, what, what's the <laughs> yeah. scene here? I was like, uh, what's you your seating like? Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm asking him, I'm like, I was like, what's the run of show? And she's like, I don't know what the run of show is. I'm like, I'm like, okay, never mind. So <laughs> so anyway, I get in there and this band that my wife really likes, uh, the, the lead singer's married to Hillary Duff. And it's like a small, and there's like 80 people there maybe. And I was like, cool. So the opener was coming out and it's a 17 year old girl from Nashville. And she's just kind of tagging along and, and it's just her, no band, no like support team. She's selling her own merch. Her mom's there. Like 
they made bracelets, like handmade bracelets. And so she goes on and like, I kind of listen to a couple minutes, but then we leave and I, I come back in and uh, she's on her last song and I catch the whole last song. And I looked at my wife and I was like, hey, I've been doing this a while, but like, she's going to be massive. And my wife's like, what do you mean? I was like, massive, massive. Like, she's going to be like Adele, Taylor Swift, big, uh, you know. And I said in like a year, you know, I was like, she's going to catch on, watch. So I talked to the girl after the show. I was like, hey, like, you know, I'm working the industry. Like, if you're ever in the Midwest, let me know. You know, I'll, I'll book you. I was like, you, you really have something here. So keep it up. So she's great. Gives me one of the little bracelets, right? Like she's, I buy a t-shirt. She's awesome. Fast forward, like, I don't know, five days. I'm back in, back home. Flew back from Salt Lake. She is number two on Spotify internationally. And uh, go (laughs) fast forward a week later, her uh, face and album cover is on Times Square billboard. And then fast forward a week from there and she's on Jimmy Fallon. So I mean, literally within three weeks, that girl went from 17-year-old opening up in a Greasy Spoon diner to playing Fallon. I mean, it was like that Holy quick. Shit. Who was it? Her name's Gail. So she sings the A, B, C, D, E, F, U song. It's very popular on TikTok. Yeah, I mean, it was like that quick. I've never seen it happen that fast in my entire life. But, you know, I think it really speaks to, you know, like you said, it keeps it fresh. There's always somebody coming up. But at the same time, just the ability to get out in front of people now, the barriers are just like totally gone. Have record labels, you're still gonna have deals being made that you know maybe aren't as advantageous to artists as they should be or what have you. But at the end of the day, like if you have something to say, something to sing, something to get out there, like, you, I mean, just like you and I talking right now, like you don't have to go find a radio station you know, to, to put it on, or you don't have to, you know, sit down for a five minute clip on the local news. Like you can, you can get your message out, you know, a number of different ways and garner a pretty broad audience without a lot of the barriers that were even there, maybe, you know, two, three, four years ago. Um, and so then you end up with your billboard in Times Square and on Fallon, you know? So, um, yeah, I like every time that we're like doing high speed stuff with Audley and, you know, making these like big like momentum decisions i'm like i always think back to america with like three channels yeah (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and then well you know keeping that in mind for me has been like amazing just to think about like the bandwidth trend is 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 just insane and and like you know what what was it two hundred thousand a quarter new podcast yeah i mean you know and i mean you just think about all the content that's not even podcast but just audio content and i think that right. that in addition to just the you know at first it was oh everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket right and then now it's everybody has a cell phone and earbuds in you know so like now you're like i always say like we have to figure out a way and i've been saying this for you know three four years since i thought podcasting was super cool uh even though i know it's been around a decade but you know, we have to get that in people's ear holes. Like that's, that's my goal. Like, (laughs) like that is, that is my only goal. Like we have to, if we can get this message into their ear holes, like they're going to like it. We just gotta, we gotta find the way in there. So now, you know, with the AirPods and everything, like it's a really short route to the ear hole, you know? So I, I gotta tell you, like I have probably learned more from Sam Harris and from like 
even all the folks that own fucking Rogan and like, I mean, I have learned more from podcasts and audiobook. I mean, audiobook, I could talk forever about. I mean, I think I've spent like a month at least. I think I was looking at my time. Like, I don't know what it all told me, but it has changed my life so much. And then when I see like, see folks that haven't really played with it a whole lot, um, it just makes me realize like how much there is out there that we can Im- impact. Um, you know, like the entire, my entire education, not, not, a, not a cheap one either. You know, I, I didn't pay for it in pushups. It was not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've learned more just on podcasts and, and, and audiobooks, you know, and, and just like picking up stuff that you're just like dry, in the drive. I listened to masters in business with um, Barry Ritholtz. I learned more from that show about the inner workings of finance than I have getting a finance degree from the best fucking business school on the face of the planet. You know what I mean? So like that is just, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. I mean, I keep coming back to like, I mean, law school, the amount of reading, like I can't even, I can't even quantify it. It's just like, Hey, go, whatever you had before law school, they're kind of like, hey, you have 20 pages to read tonight or you have, you know, for each class or whatever. So maybe you have 80 pages, you know, to consume before the next class or whatever. Um, each class was 120 pages a night. So, I mean, you're, you're reading, I don't know, 1,000 to 1,500 pages of, of dense information um, where every word matters because, you know, you have Latin you have, <laughs> you know, and so like, you're like, oh, was that a, was that a thou they use there? What, what, what was that? Is this King James show yeah, here? Yeah, so, so like, yeah. you know, because uh, it goes back to the Magna Carta and Bill of Rights. And so, you know, it's all part of the foundation. But if I would have had an audio version of those things to be able to consume at the time, I would have been so much better off. And I think back to, I had this professor, uh, Gerard Maglioka. I don't remember like, my fifth grade teacher's name, but I'll never forget that guy. He, really interesting dude, uh, ended up on uh, Jeopardy, uh, like the student version, I think, back in like the early 90s. And just the funniest, strangest kind of guy. And so he ends up, he's on C-SPAN all the time now because he writes these uh, books about legal and political theory. But that guy's class, I would literally pay whatever it was a semester, I would pay that right now to go sit in it. And every time we start talking on podcasts or talking about podcasts, I always think like, I'm going to call that guy up and just offer He him. has to, yeah. He like, has to listen, be. Gerard, like I'll front the bill. Like if you'll just give me an hour of your time to sit down and just wax poetic about, you know, the, the golden age, the golden age of American politics, like I will, I will pay uh, for you to do it. And so, you know, I think that's the, the exciting part now is to kind of like, you know, be able to identify those great stories, those great storytellers, those great informational, educational, entertainment purpose, audio opportunities out there and then bring them to the public. Because unlike what you were talking about, where there were three channels on the television and like, I think I'm the last, I'm the cutoff probably of, you know, my TV in my bedroom when I was little had a knob and had three channels. And luckily one of them was channel three so I could turn my Nintendo on. But, you know, <laughs> like that, I'm the last, I'm the cut, you know, we're the cutoff of the analog to digital. Like I can live in both those worlds. But what I like is that what you're seeing now, you know, from the three channel days to now 
is that with these podcasts and audio content that what's great is you see this community being built. Not just a podcast community, but this community that's being built around a particular show where it's like they have 50,000 fans, but those fans are making subgroups on Facebook and Reddit. And, you know, it's like, I'm a Time Suck fan and this is the Time Suck for Gamers uh, group that we're in. And then there's 2,000 people in there. And then there's 5,000 people in the Teachers for Time Suck group that are you know, uh, all teachers that listen to Time Suck. And so you see these really cool communities being built through podcasting. And and then the social impact of it is amazing because all of these people are raising money for different charities every month and kick and kicking back, you know, in some instances I've seen, you know, anywhere from five to twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month they're kicking back to charities um, that they that they care about. And so, you know, I think that What's unique about it and what is cool is these communities are able to be created because you have such specific content. So everybody in the room listening to that content is coming. They have something in common with the other people listening to that content. Whereas when there's three channels, you don't have anything in common with everybody that watches How I Met Your Mother. You know, you don't like it's just that's a show that a lot of people watch. And so with podcasting, the audiences are smaller but they're way more engaged and they're way more engaged with each other and they're way more engaged with the products that those shows are promoting. And so, you know, from an advertiser perspective, that's something to consider as well is, yeah, you could reach more people on this channel, but you're going to actually get more conversions on this channel because you're actually reaching a definable group of people, an actual group of people you can put a label on. I started jujitsu because of, of Rogan and then I fucking met John, you know, uh, um, I met our 10th planet, you know, fearless leader because I was just completely enthralled with, with what they were doing. I mean, I think I bought on it shit too. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna, you're gonna, because it's, you're also not going to have a relationship with like a, a business like that for a long period of time. You don't, they're not actually like reverb with, with the, with what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there definitely is a lot more, uh, you know, they use it or they're about it. You know, it fits It fits the brand, you know? I mean, I, but I just love, I love the sense of, because it reminds me a lot of music. Like, it's, it's that same sense of community, um, but taken to, like, a digital realm, you know? And, you know, because there's nothing like, you know, I mean, one of my rooms was 400 cap. And there's nothing like cramming 400 people into a room and like everybody's jamming out to the same band. Um, and I feel like you get that with podcasting where it's like everybody's anticipating that episode to come out, um, you know, for the week because it's their Wednesday drive or it's how they fall asleep at night. And that's the other thing. It's so intimate. Like there's a certain sh- there's a certain show I listen to to go to sleep. There's a certain show I listen to to wake up. There's a certain show I listen to if I'm driving. Um, and so wait, I gotta get wait, I gotta get your list. All right, so so what do you, what are you listening to uh, in the uh, morning and night? Man, so in the morning, um, I'm typically gonna start out with a uh, let's see here. I typically start out with a comedy, so we'll do the Always Sunny podcast, um, or we'll start. Oh, out, I've heard good things. I haven't heard it though. Yeah, or we'll start out with a crime and sports or small town murder, um, which are. Starting your day off with murder. Yeah, Yeah. well, so that's hosted by two comedians. So they bring a different, a different, you know, it'll be like there's a murder scene and they brought the mayor 
to it and he brought his date and they're walking around in the blood and you know it's like but they're all it's all real it's all actual things that happen but um you know typically i'll start out my day with a little murder and mayhem um and then i typically get into something a little more you know news related where it's you know maybe some kind of current event uh type of podcast um but then i also like to listen to a lot of historical um whether it's dan carlin or um, oh, Dan Carlin's Dan so Carlin's good. great. Um, you know, I, have you I, listened to uh, the history of Rome? Uh, I haven't, but I haven't started it. Oh my god! Yeah, check check those out. They're they're only like thirty minutes long, but he goes so deep. So like every thirty minutes is like a year of the oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, so I mean, I'm typically you know a lot of uh, true, not just true crime, but just like true history. You know, I already mentioned it already, but my favorite all-time podcast is Time Suck. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Nothing like it. I mean, Dan Cummins is a, a great comedian, but he really committed himself like, you know, five, six years ago to this medium. And so it might have meant touring less or it might have meant giving up on some TV stuff or whatever, but he totally committed to this podcast and now he has three, four podcasts and, you know, is just like basically living the podcasting dream. Uh, but but the flagship Time Suck is very two hour long, uh, extensive uh, look into, it could be a cult one weekend, it could be crime, it could be a historical event. Like I think this week's episode was on Attila the Hun. It's always something different and I love that variety uh, of, of historical kind of uh, look on things, but, um, you know, not just saying, hey, this is a podcast just about true crime or um, cults or whatever. It's, it's, what is it with the true crime genre? It's, it's like, it's ridiculous. I think, it, I guess because the advertisers here, they like, they get into like middle-aged women, which are like the big spenders. I feel like that's why it's so huge. It's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, the biggest network is here in Indy, uh, Audio Chuck, and, you know, the, it's a lot of... Um, kind of the dateline model, right? Like it's 40, 48 hours or dateline. It's that repeatable, you know, uh, content that, you know, hey, here's a beginning, middle and end of a crime that happened. But I, I really am more drawn to the ones that do what dateline doesn't do or what Unsolved Mysteries doesn't do, which is to look at the absurdity of it all. Like look at, you know, not just like this guy, you know, killed his wife, da da da, it's tragic, but like this happened? Like, are you kidding me? Like. What the hell? Like, that guy thought he was going to get away with it. Like, that guy literally thought, you know, like, that he was going to, you know, he threw the TV over and said it was burglars, you know? Like, uh, you know, he's got the 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 in-table leg, like, still in his hand when they get there, you know? And he's like, oh, I don't know, you know? And so, you know, that's the kind of story I like to hear is when you're going to take something that's very maybe monotonous or serious and turn it on its head. And I think I think podcasting is great for that because it's something the mainstream channels, and I'm not just talking about true crime now, but just they can take a look at something that a mainstream channel can do or even a cable or, you know, HBO, whatever, like podcasting can push the limits even further of what of how you can examine a topic because there are no constraints. There are no network uh, executive level producers that are going to weigh in on your creative output. You know, they're going to uh, change the end product before it gets into the listener's ears. Like typically podcasting is a much more free form, you know, methodology. So those stories are then told in a totally different way. And the market forces it because 
there's a billion podcasts. So if you're going to tell the same story the same way that 25 other people did, good luck. You know, it's just not going to work for you. So you kind of have to find your voice, your angle, and and kind of you know what your shtick you know is going to be, and then apply it to all these different stories. Are you ready for this? I think we've covered all of human history uh, so far here. So feels like it. Tell me a little bit more about, uh, I guess, I guess, Audily. What is it that you're most excited about that people should be most excited about with what you're doing over there? Yeah, I mean, I think Audily, you know, where it where it's kind of positioned is between computer and human, and so, you know, I think that something that is missing, you know, in this space is. Uh, for the podcaster, something that's missing in the space is time. You know, you just do not have enough time to uh, produce maybe what you want to produce or grow the way you want to grow or do that next project or, um, you know, even quite frankly, you know, talking to a lot of podcasters, it's like, you know, I have this other thing I do, I have a family and I'm doing this. And so, you know, that's a lot for anyone, whether it's a content creator inside a company or if it's a comedian that's, you know, on the road touring sometimes during the week and then still has to get a show out that comes out every, you know, Tuesday. Um, you know, it's a lot to ask of anybody. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of great tools and technology out there to uh, make the process easier to get these kind of things to market and to monetize them and to um, make them into something great. But at the same time, all of those tools and learning to use them uh, efficiently and and as best that they can be leveraged also takes skill and time. So everything you're adding to that person's plate is taking away from the creative product. It's taking away from what they came there to do, which is to sit down in front of the microphone and and actually create. Um, and so being able to to provide a service that gives people their time back to be creative. Um, you know, I think is the overarching goal of what Audily can be um, for, you know, a person that's looking to get into the space or looking to uh, market their brand or their product in a different way. Um, I think that there's no shortage of people realizing that this is a really short path to who you're trying to reach. And I think that, you know, you're going to see continually more people getting into the audio content space. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a lot, there's a lack of understanding of, of the difficulty and the time-consuming, painstaking effort that goes into producing a high-quality uh, product. And so, you know, being able to, to bring in all of those high-quality tools that are available uh, on the market and, and, and partner, you know, with the best and, and, and cleanest and brightest uh, uh, podcast making, creating, distributing, producing advertising, monetizing, and, and uh, data analytical uh, platforms uh, and to put them uh, under one roof and then put uh, someone in charge of them that actually specializes and understands how to leverage those tools uh, in an equitable way for you. Um, and then be able to provide that to the end user uh, is, is going to be um, such a sigh of relief, I think, for a lot of people. Um, to be able to to kind of get back to doing what they do best. M mine is mine. What I do best is wasting everybody's time here here at Adventure. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I love doing that. Um, all right. Well, I think I think 
on on that note, I, I don't know if there's a soul in the world that isn't ready to to make a podcast with Mr. Matt Wells. Um, so I will say, call Matt, call up Audley, um, they'll get you rolling, and um, call, text, you email, know. smoke signal, we'll take it all, man. Smoke signal, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think it'll be you know. Um, we're excited to start working on a lot of new projects and you know, I think that uh, it's going to continue. We're going to look back at this moment in time and think about when there were first advertisements on television or uh, you know, people started using Facebook and, and Instagram and things like that. I think that, I think that audio content is kind of reaching um, that point because you're starting to see numbers where it used to be 20 or 30% of people in a household were consuming some form of this content and now it's 60, 65, 70%. So, um, you know, with those kind of numbers, I don't think we can, uh, I don't think we can uh, just stick our fingers in our ears and ignore it. I think, you know, it's going to continue to grow and, and we're going to have to continue to help people find a way to get in those ear holes. All right, Matt. Any, anything else here, Chief? No, I think it's been a pretty good Wednesday. I feel good. Pretty good, pretty good Wednesday. All right. I'll see you, Matt. See you, see ya, bye. Hey, you listen, it's going down just like this. This has been an oddly production. Thank you for tuning in. Our producer is Matt Wells. Our audio engineer, David Woji. I'm your host, Sam Sawhook. Please like and subscribe. That helps get the word out. Have a lovely, lovely day. We'll see you next time.